millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six years. I'd say it to your face, I'll say it to you now. I'm down to one field and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you showing man? There seems to be a fair bit of panic around the place about this Euro qualifying group we found ourselves lumped into. I'd like to reassure everybody today, it's actually not that bad a draw. Bear with me here. We get a bunch of massive occasions that are sold out of Viva Stadium. The away trips of a lifetime for travelling fans... We theoretically play better against better teams. Not totally sold on that one, but I'm I'm willing to throw it in there (laughs) to put a positive spin on things. Anyway, no matter what group we ended up in, we were probably going to finish third or fourth anyway and still get a crack at the playoffs through our old friend, the Nations League. So we may as well come third or fourth in a really exciting group, Mm. then play that playoff and lose it in some sort of bizarrely unfortunate circumstances. Oh, and one final thing. I watched Memphis Depay at Manchester United and... I don't care how many goals he's been scoring for his country. <laughs> this guy has been playing above himself. Yeah, we can and handle him. Eventually, he's going to average. I, yeah. I refuse to accept he's, he's a world class He's going to revert to the mean in this, yeah. in this Euros You were saying that about Diego Forlan before the World Cup in 2010 as well, I think, God, before he finished top scorer. Did you, do you actually? Did I actually do this? I'm, I, I, I mean, wow. I just Ken's, no, 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 Ken's bread is sufficiently bad. I believe yes. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't recognise any lyrics of any 90s hip-hop tunes. No, obviously Does remember not. my innocuous comment about Diego Forlan, <laughs> my McTeppet take of about <laughs> Literally 12 years ago. 12 years ago. Uh, over 12 yeah. years ago. No, I'm going to go further than what I said. Memphis Depay is a fraud, Ken. He has fraudulently scored 12 goals in the qualifiers for the World Cup. Mm. How many did you get in the Nations League? Quite a few there as well. He's, he's Three only, but he only played like three yeah. less than three matches I mean he's somehow managing to masquerade as an international Mm. finisher of great repute and I'm sure that will come to a shuddering halt at some stage over the course of the group campaign we're going to obviously have loads of football coverage during the week Champions League and the Republic of Ireland women's team away to Scotland tomorrow night with a place at the World Cup at stake or potentially a place in another qualifying tournament for the World Cup at stake (laughs) it's kind of complicated either way sign up to the World Service on secondcaptains.com for only a five hour month plus VAT for all our coverage we have Miguel on today with Andrew Mangan of Arsblog we had a couple of 
couple of listeners asking for a bit of arse blog in today's conversation, given what... That's not, that's not why he's on, no. No? You didn't no. bow to public pressure? No, it wasn't, it wasn't, oh, I'd better do what these people tweeting at me say I should do. No, that wasn't it. It's simply that I, it's more of a mind meld. Mm. I just, I knew... I knew what my people would want. I, I mean, I don't mean to say my people. Ken's what, people. I knew what the people. All of you listening right now. So you the Arsenal, I knew what the Arsenal. I knew what the Arsenal people would want. Yeah. The Arsenal people. There's there are proud but sensitive people. <laughs> you know. Uh, These I, are different from Ken's people. Though. I mentioned last week, on in a sort of an offhand way, that I thought their win against Tottenham had been a little bit lucky mm. in some respects, and I've and I've been. It, it it became my Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been fighting a, a brutal guerrilla insurgency. Uh, it's it's. But you know, you're eager, you're eager to tell that this had no impact on you whatsoever. Well, it's it's just hilarious. It's like such a sort of. I mean, Son just messed up a bunch of chances, and I, I've had Arsenal fans really angry about it all week. Yeah. So you know, again, it, it's it's time to give credit where it's due. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that long overdue. I, I think that some of the Arsenal people feel. So you know. I just love your justification for this. Let's see if that happens. Mm. You want to cover Arsenal today, not because of the actual people who've been suggesting that you should cover Arsenal, but the The hypothetical feelings that people have. I I don't like the idea that that like someone, you know... It's called a recommendation. It's called a suggestion. It's not like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to be led by the nose. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to be bullied bullied into getting people. It's simply that, well, you know, it just so happens. Okay, listeners, if, if... Andrew Mangan of Arsblog appears on this show later on. You know the methods required to get your team covered on the show. So just take that on board. That's not, that, and that avalanche is, that of me- not, messages to Ken's Twitter. I reiterate Twitter that that is not what will, happened. That is not what will happened. produce almost instantaneous results. Report on sport. Come on then, Ken. Tell us why this Ireland group is actually good news for us. The Ireland group is a yeah. disaster. It's the worst group we could have got. Uh, I'm looking at the other groups and literally all of the other third seeds had a better draw than we did um, it's a nightmare Owen. it's the worst it's Netherlands aren't the best top seed though uh, they've got Memphis to pay argue Owen, Memphis Depay was the top goal scorer in World Cup qualifying in Europe that. along with Harry Kane he's fluking it 12 goals in qualifiers 12 seems like a lot do you the remember him playing for Man United stage killing machine uh, Did he score any goals for Man United? Two or he three? He scored a couple, yeah. I think it was it was that low. Western Europe is literally littered with players who were terrible at Man United yeah. who have nevertheless gone on to magnificent, brilliant, glittering club careers. So that is my concern. Sorry, yeah, maybe I'm being unfair. That's my concern. Literally, I mean, you know, would you rather be in a group, uh, would you rather be in Norway's position and have to and be up against Spain, Scotland, Georgia and Cyprus? <sighs> I think so. Well, would you rather be in Ukraine's position, Italy, England, North Macedonia and Malta? Yeah. I think so. You know, I mean, Italy, England, England. North, Mace- North Macedonia. I mean, that's that's a tough group as well. That's right? not an easy group. North Macedonia no. did knock Italy out of the mm. World Cup playoffs. North yeah. Macedonia are probably better than Greece. Um, are they? Greece the highest ranked, I think, of the teams yeah. yeah. I mean, Greece top. are Greece are like the team that we have to. We can't think too much about the qualities of Greece, right? Okay. All no disrespect to Simicas, <laughs> no disrespect to the Greeks. But we can't we can't afford to be worrying too much about how we're going to make. Like we have to. I mean, it's non-negotiable that we have mm. to do better than Greece. You know, I mean, the, the question is whether we can do anything against France and and Holland. I mean, <sighs> plucky draws at home. Look look through them. You know, Armenia, um, a third seed in with Croatia, Wales. We, you know, we we'd fancy our chance of maybe maybe sneaking out of Wales. We've done it before. 
Mm. You know, um, I think it was five years ago today, was it? James McLean got, got was that it goal. today? Five years, uh, Albania, another third seed in Poland, the Czech Republic. I mean, Poland, the Czech Republic, are okay, but you know, Holland and France, not Holland and France, Belgium and Austria are the top seeds in Sweden's group. So, I'm, I'm just naming the teams that are the equivalent yeah. of us, Azerbaijan, you know, again, you know, Austria, Ralph, uh, Rangnick's Austria, you know doesn't seem quite as intimidating as Hungary and Serbia are in there with Montenegro. You know, so what I'm saying is it's been an awful draw. It's mm. the worst draw. It's five years ago yesterday. Now what okay. I, I agree on with what you're saying that it's an exciting Amsterdam at least it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. No, but not just the away trips also the the whole matches, the atmosphere at those games will be uh, so long as we still have an interest in the group. Well look on the, the good news is the first game is against France at home. And we so still we, have an interest in the group at that point. We yeah. start level pegging. So let's I would say hope the France win the World Cup, right? Mm. They come to Dublin with, a, with a gigantic World Cup hangover. Yeah. We turn them over, they don't even care. They literally don't even care. They're like, ah, Grant, we've got like what? Seven more games to figure this one out. No big deal. Let's look at how happy these little green men are. We've had I mean, some... who, who could even hold it against the little plucky bastards? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, winning the World Cup, maybe. I don't know if it gives you that bad of a hangover. We have had some joy against losing semi-finalists in the past. Okay. Um, Keep talking. Portugal and Holland in, in 2002. Yes, yes. Uh, Croatia. Croatia. 98. The, the previous time. Yeah. You know, we, and we, we beat Croatia in the first game. Of those qualifiers, God, a few it's like weeks we're going today. to the World Cup ourselves now, isn't it? We're, yeah. We got we got a route for France and the Netherlands to get to the World Cup semi-final. So look, it is it lands to the slaughter. It's it's very unfortunate, like um, because it, it already looks extremely unlikely that we'll, we will be one of the twenty-four of the fifty-three teams that make it to the European Championships. It looks very unlikely. And, yeah. and so, of map course, it out to me if we if we finish third in the group, yeah, it doesn't matter where where we finish in the group. Actually, no, we can finish fourth or third it, or make fifth. Any, yeah. It, it actually goes by the doesn't Nations matter. League yeah. rankings. So, so you finish in the top two. Great. That means you qualify automatically. <laughs> Great stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Can I'm you foresee that we finished bottom of the group? Yeah. We could and get then, a playoff. And, and like, you know, I don't know. Imagine the thoughts about Stephen Kenny at that point. But we get a playoff. We win the playoff. And we get to a major tournament. It's like, what? listen, if you if you'd offer me a chance to uh, for Maybe. a playoff to get to the Euros, I'd bit your hand yeah, off. There's a bit of that going. Yeah. On. Well, in, in a playoff, even a playoff looks quite unlikely for us. I mean, it it could happen. I mean, in the um, you know, in the the previous qualifiers, you know, most almost everybody in the top two, everybody in the top two Nations League tiers got a, got either a qualification or a playoff. I think everybody, um, but they've obviously expanded the top tier a little bit, so that creates mm. a bit more uncertainty suddenly. And it is possible that if teams that finished behind us in the Nations League uh, rankings, and we're twenty sixth in that. Mm -hmm. We're, we're number 26. Um, Lucky number 26. Uh, it's your time. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's essentially, if teams that finish behind us qualify automatically, then that sort of pushes us steadily out of playoff contention. Yeah, that's, so it, that's what we don't want to happen, mm, effectively. So no no shocks, no John killing, mm -hmm. just the the big dogs yeah, eating well, we all need, the we need Yeah, well, we need, you know, um, so countries like um, uh, Sweden, Montenegro... Um, uh, Albania, Romania, these types of countries have finished behind us. We do not want to see them. Okay, so on the qualifiers, what is, given how difficult this group is, what is success in this group? 
Oh, and I haven't finished explaining just the playoff thing. Mm. The playoffs are three. There's three places for playoffs, and there's 12 teams going into the playoffs. So you have so so it's a it's a Hunger Games type of situation. Even once you get the playoff, which <laughs> you know it is not is oh, it's, no it's, so it's, it's like not a straightforward win a game and you're through. No, no, it's you have to win a semifinal and you have to win a final. So that's yeah. so even the playoff route is our best way. Our, our most likely way of qualifying is by finishing in the top two. Mm. And I disagree. If <laughs> I would disagree with that uh, again. But uh, if we finish third in this group, could you say it's a successful finish? It depends what kind of third. Yeah, you, know? you can finish. Beat Greece home and away. Beat Gibraltar home and away. One draw against France or the Netherlands at home. I would say that's... I disagree. I think you need one win good. against the two big teams for it to feel really exciting and really like you're going somewhere. Yeah. I, on top of beating Greece home and away. No, you, you might... No, a draw with Greece away from home is hardly... I love the way we're doing this. This honestly sounds a bit like pre-Euro 2012. Mm. So what we do is we beat Croatia. Yeah, well, obviously, obviously we're beating Croatia. Australia, we, uh, you know, at best we maybe get a point against Spain. Probably yeah. not. But we'll get a draw against Italy in the final game and yeah. go through. Let, let's not plan these things too specifically is what I'm saying. But I do feel like just those are going to be such amazing occasions at Lansdowne Road, yeah. uh, especially the one against France. Uh, maybe I don't know, that could that could be the one to sneak. I don't know about the theory about we play better against better teams. Like we have played well, we played well against Portugal basically twice. Yeah, um, against Serbia, didn't we play well twice? Played very well in the away game anyway. Serbia, we played all right. Stephen Kenny loved the away Serbia performance I think he's talked about it a couple of times we were terrible against them at home yeah it was well we, we drew with them at home right? I know but, but we were did, so we bad we didn't play great the, yeah, the yeah. away we played quite well in the away game but then let in stupid goals mm. you know there was this ridiculous Mitrovic lob yeah you know yeah, which wasn't Mark yeah. Travers finest error you know we so we, we certainly kind of, don't get stuffed by the big teams but I don't know if we've shown yet that we well, we, we haven't shown that we actually beat. Well, we could. I mean, the Portugal one was the closest. Obviously, that was like the yeah. you know yeah. you're yeah. winning going into, and they played really well that day. So okay, they they they're going to need to keep uh, keep doing this, keep getting better. And what what is success? It, it sort of is depending on how they how they do it. You know, I mean, you could you could emerge eliminated, but like bravely. So that's why I don't think it's actually as bad a draw for Stephen Kenny as people are making out. For oh, I think it's a terrible draw. I, I mean, I want, you, the the main thing. Has to be like because all along he's been sort of saying, you know, it's it's about Germany. You know that 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 became a kind of a controversial episode. Oh, mm. what's he saying? This is a, this World Cup campaign is just a warm up for Germany. But he kind of been he sort of been staking it on. Look, you know the European Championships because really the European Championships is not that difficult to qualify for mm. unless you get put into a group like yeah. this, and uh, and of course. And I mean, we should say as well that we're third seeds on the back of bad results. Yeah, I know. Do you know, like that's it's, it's true. Not, it's not like just blind bad luck. Like yeah. we are third seeds yeah, because yeah. of bad results. We 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 would have been obviously if we if we hadn't screwed up uh, in games that we were winning. You know, we were beating Ukraine, we were beating Scotland, we ended up losing or drawing Ukraine mm-hmm. and losing to Scotland, and that could have kept us as second seeds, but. Uh, Equally, even as third seeds, this is like, but that's I can't, my, believe, that's my I can't believe what just happened here. Exactly. And everyone's thinking that way. So I think he'll be given more leeway. I could absolutely see a scenario where, so you're talking about some of these other groups, like you throw those other names at me. What was one of them? Spain and Scotland. Spain and Scotland. Like, I don't think, I don't see us getting out of that one either. And, but I see you, the, you the can't nice Ireland against Scotland. I mean, we beat Scotland three 0 I mean, if you'd be pretty happy to beat Netherlands if or France three 0 if we didn't come out of that one, right? The knives would obviously be out. Steve yeah. Kenny, look, look what he said. But if we don't come out of this one, as we say, and we finish, uh, there's a scenario in this group where we don't qualify automatically and still 
everyone's at the end of it saying, has he done a good job or not? I'm well, not sure. Yeah, and I, I don't know, know if there which, is that much leeway. In which annoys me as well. Like even the fact that we'll, we, we will, I can foresee that that will still be it. It's like, well, no, the performance was good even in this 3-1 defeat. You know, uh, it'll be more of that type of thing. The best thing would have been for, for both uh, Stephen Kenny personally and for everybody else would have been a group that we could realistically qualify from. <laughs> and then, for the like, we get answers. A bit more clarity on, on all of our thoughts. Yeah. Instead of it's just like good. the Joker dangling from the Stephen Kenny's going to be managing this team for, of, I just uh, the Dark Knight. He's going to be managing the team for like 20 years. Oh, yeah. getting into the, and we're all, we're, at the end we're going to be honest, he's doing a good job or not? I don't know. I'll just give him another two years. Uh, Tough group. So, I mean, what's Old happening? Old McDevitt Twitter poll. 49% say Stephen Kenny has done a good job with Ireland. Ireland watch. Troy Parrott had a good game for Preston. Who had a great game scoring three a three goal blast against the Norwich. Great who, entertainers. Uh, who who are one of the top sides in the, the championship. Park came on at halftime, uh, helped to create with his movement the two one goal for Preston. Norwich then equalised, but then Troy Parrott scored the third and winning goal for Preston North End, turning and lashing in a shot which the goalkeeper definitely should have saved, but knocking it you know went in at the near post. And uh, such was his joy. He turned and exploded into a celebration, and his hamstring exploded. Oh, his hamstring exploded. He fell to the ground. The when the camera finally cut to him, uh, he was lying on the ground in agony, clutching his hamstring as, as his teammates tried to celebrate. And he was then helped away from the pitch like James Brown. And, you know, he was unable it's to. Like he couldn't even. Walk. He, he was carried. He, he oh, was like frog marched, not frog marched, uh, yeah. but, you know, shoulders, arms over the shoulders of guys who were helping him away. So. That was unfortunate. Um, what that else is happened? unfortunate. Jason Malumbi, an unused substitute for West Brom, who have just sacked Steve Bruce. Mm -hmm. Darroshay did play the 90 minutes in their nil-nil draw. What about Joe Hodge, Premier League debut? Joe Hodge and Stephen Kenny said, said a funny thing about Joe Hodge, actually. Um, obviously, over, he was over in Frankfurt, and in the course of his, uh, of his comments to the journalists, he was asked about the fact that, that he came on uh, for Wolves. And he said... Uh, it, it's a where's where's Joe Hodge right now? It's a good question. Personally, in relation to our squad, I would have preferred if it was Connor Ronan on the bench. It's like I'm gonna let you finish, but Beyonce <laughs> had the best album this year. I was like, well, it, and it seems to be basically that 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 Hodge, as as Kenny said, uh, I was I spoke to him last week. That's Connor Ronan. I was hoping he might be the one to come on because he can add to us. Joe is obviously very young and will be a significant player for the under 21s in the next campaign. Um, whereas Conor Ronan is obviously now too old to play for the under-21s and really at a point where he needs to be playing. You know, Kenny said that he, you know, Wolves decided to hang on to, hang on to him this season because apparently his preseason had gone really well, but now he's not playing. So, yeah. he, you know, he's not going, he's not getting anywhere. And, uh, yeah. I love that we think we, we're, we're in a position to be like, oh, we can pick and choose which Irish player gets their Premier yeah. League debut, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and of course... Uh, we had uh, Gavin Bazunu in action, and, oh, I, and of course, I, I, I saw you. You were doing the this uh, the Premier Sports coverage and that went on. And uh, fair play to you, fair play to you. Yeah, and I was wondering, is he going to become the first Premier League goalkeeper to concede ten here today? Is that what we're <laughs> is that what we're going to be? We're watching here to here? celebrate. I did yeah. predict a six nil on air, mm. um, and it looked like it was going that way at four yeah. nil, but it was too late, though, wasn't it? I think after twenty minutes. And it was still nil-nil. I, I said, no, nah, I think yeah. we're not going to see double figures. Yeah, yeah. Um, In fairness to Pizzunu, he made some good saves. He made one, my favourite save was the one on Haaland, where Haaland, it was very like one of the goals he scored against West Ham hmm. on his debut, where he r ran around the goalkeeper 
or was he fouled for that one? Anyway, in this case, he tried to go around. Yeah, that was a very good save by Bazunu. Tried to go around That was a, the one that led to the penalty against West Ham. Yes, that was it. Sorry, yeah. But Bazunu anticipated this, got there probably faster than Haaland thought he was going to get there. Because yeah. it was nothing. Haaland took all his touches brilliantly and Bazunu still saved. So, yeah. And, and Murphy, you've been critical of Gavin Bazunu. And I, th- I thought he made a very good save early on from Mares. Yeah, no, he made on a few, the half I was, He was really good. He couldn't blame yeah. him for any of the goals. Yeah, no, he was good. First goal maybe went through him a bit. Ah, stop. No. Well, you're, I, I'm going to put it to you because you're the guy. You're the guy. Don't you point that finger at me. You're the guy. Don't he's you come always in here and start pointing fingers at me. Rattled in from close range that first one. Wasn't I call it? it as I see it, Ken. It was sort Sorry. of through. Yeah. It's, it sort of went through the defender. Um, through the defender's legs. I think it's yeah. more that it, that you know Cancelo's shot. It was a great move by Cancelo. Um, certainly, I don't think it's the kind of goal a goalkeeper gets blamed for because he'd already ruined um, a couple of the defenders. You know, yeah, um, yeah, running from halfway. Um, uh, but then the, the ball sort of goes into the middle of the goal a bit, but it's kind of through a, congest- no. a congestion. Um, I'm giving Bazunu seven out of ten, uh, or Gavin Bazuno, as Diego Torres calls him. Mm. Uh, uh, when he, I obviously read his piece about this game. The veteran, that's. Kevin De Bruyne left Holland alone in front of the goalkeeper in a brilliant play that did not end in a goal because the goalkeeper Gavin Bizzuno rushed to catch the ball a foot before the forward's arrival. It's an interesting piece, actually. Um, of course, uh, in that which goes uh, saying. Well, when it, do you read? It? Sorry, when is it published? When when is the Diego Torres? Monday mornings. When, yeah, does, have, when do the tablets come down he's, from the mountain? He's, he's, he's creating all the time. So. Oh, okay, right. But uh, this this is I love this one because it. I, what I love is is. A journalist with um, beliefs, um, principles, balls, Ken. hobby stones. horses. Yeah, <laughs> and, and one Diego Torres has stones till Tuesday. Kevin De Bruyne was an individualist finisher rather than an altruistic organizer. Hmm. Uh, his superb shooting earned him the financial recognition associated with goal scores. His annual salary of seventeen million net is the highest in the Manchester City squad. Think that might might be out of date. Uh, judging by some of the, wasn't it? There was a report. Holland is on nine hundred grand a week. Yes, eight hundred and sixty thousand uh, pounds sterling. Apparently. So yeah, that's pretty good. Including, I mean, there's a lot of gold I assume bonuses that's in there that he's that he is apparently for him are gimmies. Yeah. However, this season at 31 years old, he's worked a miracle with four assists on goal. The Belgian has become a devoted, a devoted supporting actor. He is the biggest assistant to Erling Haaland, who in the first year of his contract earns 15 million net. Okay. Well, that's you know that's uh, so. So it's basically all about how the uh, the uh, supernatural goal scoring ability of Erling Haaland has given that fat glory hunting, you know, so and so, Kevin De Bruyne. Renewed relevance, <laughs> which I thought is—is is this is this fair? You know, gradually losing the power that allowed him to change pace and direction in the final meters. De Bruyne no longer sees himself as a self-sufficient player, given the evidence of physical decline. What? The, <laughs> the, Fifteen the, goals in Premier League last year. The Belgian, as well, his association with Holland not only ensures the well-being that drives from good results. Above all, he it allows his shortcomings to be hidden where he can no longer arrive to be the protagonist of the culmination of the play, the, Nor- the Norwegian arrives with all the energy of his 22 years. Re- resigned to the role of secondary actor, De Bruyne plays better every day, because where he used to attack, now he gives the ball to the specialist. He has discovered in Holland the kind of partner who, as they say in football jargon, feeds him. This is how a coach who has access to city training boards. So uh, Holland is a creator of goal assistance. So basically, Holland, simply having Holland there makes everyone assist. The fact that Kevin De Bruyne is already by far the player with the best assists to minute record in the history of the Premier League. By far! <laughs> like, no one else is even close. The closest is actually Jose Antonio Reyes. 
Uh, that that may not be true. If if someone new has arrived this season, I can't think of if there's any new signing who's just come in and played like eight or nine games and has got like mm. I don't think there is anyone. Reyes is is some I think 214 minutes per assist, and De Bruyne at the beginning of this season was already like a half an hour less than that per you know 180 minutes, and and this season it's been like an assist every 70 minutes. So all I'm saying is yeah, I'm not sure. Holland is, is the is romance over now? Is what is what. Uh, between you and Diego Torres. Not at all. Not at all. I lost respect for that man when he said that. No, because even though I disagree, uh, I disagree with what he's saying. I respect the hell out of the fact that he's still saying it in the face of of all of this. Overwhelming evidence. (laughs) In the face of all of this evidence. He's just never going to be fooled by De Bruyne. Yeah. Yeah. He's honestly making it sound like Romario has dropped back into centre mid to start playing some passes. Yeah, yeah. Some ace finisher has decided to be as opposed to already the best assister in the Premier League. Michael Owen had like like four weeks as a midfielder for Newcastle. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Dear, I mean, dear. it was more of a number ten than a midfielder. De Bruyne yeah. discovers the assist. Um, anyway, there was a there was an even more sensational um, uh, line in the in the piece about. And I, again, I'm, I feel you know uh, about the Liverpool Arsenal game, which is that John Henry is now picking the Liverpool team. Which which again, I thought, wow, this is incredible. So this one starts with uh, the Liverpool board kindly asked. And Jurgen Klopp agreed. The image of the club and the player for whom they paid 100 million euros this summer had to be protected, they told him. The coach understood the message and put Darwin Nunez back in the starting lineup for the first time in the Premier League since the visit to Craven Cottage on the opening day. Um, but uh, obviously it didn't work out. You know, it was another terrible... Uh, disconnected from the game, ignored by his teammates, even to give him the ball when he seemed alone, un- unable to collaborate in preparation and only present at the moment in which Diaz's centre uh, forced the goal. Um, so, uh, it, but 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 says uh, if in the entire Premier League there are two central defenders that Nunez can punish, they are the heavy pair from Arsenal. That's uh, Saliba, <laughs> heavy, <laughs> the heavy pair, big, uh, you know, big lads. They're units, yeah. all right. Big, yeah. big game lads, but not the not the most graceful, not the most agile. And so, I thought Nunez was pretty good in the first half. Um, well, he had a couple of moments, you know. I mean, it, he, he had a he had a cross just before his goal, which was was looking good. But I felt, I mean, the game. Okay, we're obviously we're going to talk about this game with with Andrew and with Miguel uh, quite shortly. But it was first of all a very good game, uh, you know, to watch. It was it mm. was exciting. It was kind of back and forth. Um, I thought it had. I just want to be clear. I just want to be clear here. I I felt that Arsenal deserved to win the game. Yeah. Now, was that so difficult to say? No, I mean, it, it wasn't. But I just, oftentimes I find that that you have to be very clear when you speak about Arsenal. What did you call their fans earlier? Proud but sensitive. Proud but sensitive people. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and uh, obviously things things are all uh, things are all going very well. But, you know, it, it had this, uh, I've, I mean, it had this incredible the, the way that all Liverpool games in the last while have just been bang, you, they're immediately behind. It's incredible. It's like, how have they managed to do that? Mm. After three seconds of the game, was it? It was maybe it was 59. It was, I think it was, it was 59, 59 seconds. It was, a very, it, was, yeah. it was the first minute. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just, it, it was incredible. And it was also one of those where as soon as the ball came in field to Odegaard, you could see this is going to be a goal. You know, you can see Martinelli's there, the defenders are there, they, there's nothing they can actually do at this point. And Martinelli is probably going to, and he indeed he does finish it. Um, 
then the second goal that Arsenal scored, my God, you know, what are you laughing at? Just at? Trent. Well, you know, again, it was just fortunate. So there's so many things going on there as well. I mean, Martinelli is obviously going to burn Jordan Henderson, but even if he does, that's not a total disaster. I mean, what's he going to do from there? He can score like Troy Parrott, mm. right? If the if the goalkeeper, um, you know, spins it into his own net. But he realistically has to cross, so there's still a chance to stop this. But Alexander Arnold just runs out of. I mean, it was just crazy. It was what are you doing? You know, you see it happening, mm. and uh, you know, he obviously thinks, okay, uh, I can go and win the challenge. That's the uh, or give away a penalty. It, 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 it was like the a player setting off a run because he decided I'm going to give away a penalty now. I've had it with this. Um, didn't end up giving away a penalty, but did free up everybody in the middle so that when Martin, Martinelli cut back, uh, it was... Uh, but, you know, I just felt like... Um, I mean, in between in between those goals, Arsenal goals at the end of the half, Liverpool actually probably were the better team in the first half. Um, but this whole idea of having Thiago and Henderson as your two central midfielders, it's like... Who are you going to do that against? I mean, that might be okay against Bournemouth or, you know, Rangers. Like they did it in the champ in the Champions League. But, like, you can't be serious about going to the Emirates, you know, with Arsenal in this kind of form. Well, why not? What's wrong with that midfield? Well, there's, there's, there's two, basically, two old men uh, trying to cover a lot of ground by themselves. Okay, they're good players, you know. Certainly, they have been, uh, you know, very good players. But, like... You're asking them to do a lot here, uh, outnumbered against a younger team. And I think the re you really began to see the effect of that in the last half hour of the game. They just had nothing. You know what I mean? Like they, they got back into the game at 2 all, and then they, it, there was nothing left, you know? It, what are they got? And, and Arsenal completely dominated the last half hour of the game, you know? Now, there was also some weird refereeing, not just in this game, but in a lot of the games. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there was a, a pretty blatant handball penalty you know you're yes. kind of like what is what is going on mm. there you know and he, he doesn't he doesn't see it you know there's a Klopp was complaining about the Arsenal penalty but I felt his complaints weren't weren't so much that Arsenal got a penalty for that which you can see you know it's one of those where the referee was very decisively yeah that's a penalty mm. and then when you look at it you're like well there's contact right so there's no way for instance that he would now look at that and go actually I was wrong because he can say no look he, he touches them there mm. you know? so, so that's so but it was the fact that he, you know, they didn't look at or they did, you know, he didn't kind of consider the really obvious handball. You know, it's like, well, what, what is this supposed to be? You know, natural position, whatever. The, his arm is above shoulder level. That's it's like, what's going on there? You know, well, what is going on there? I mean, the rule might not make any sense, but the rule is in the book. So that's therefore, what the, it's that's what the rules are. Yeah. And then there was the, um, you know, the, the, there's the argument, well, there's proximity, you know, and then you see the one that's, that's given in the Newcastle. Brentford game the previous day where like a, a player one of the Brentford players heads it into the whichever Newcastle player's hand and you know the, the the distance he's not even looking you know what I mean he's not even facing the same way and that's a penalty so all we're asking for is consistency again well, to just, quote every Premier League manager it, you know you see that the, the whole discourse about referees becoming steadily more and more insane right it's, it's far worse than it ever used to be before far it's way worse and this is why because it's like, well, you're you're just picking and choosing the results that you want. That's that that's the that's what you can now say. You didn't used to be able to say that about referees. There wasn't because you couldn't sort of say, look, you're ignoring the evidence here, or selectively going, well, that's you know that looks like a penalty. There was ridiculous stuff was happening over the weekend, insane things. Okay, 
Marcus Rashford has a goal ruled out at Everton for a handball. It's a handball, right? The ball bounces up, mm. he, it hits his arm, he controls it, beats the goalkeeper, scores a goal. Disallowed. Sc- Skamica for West Ham. Uh, again, it goes through a ball over the top, controls it, ball bounces up, hits his hand, bounces down again. Lovely lob over the goalkeeper, stands there because he knows he's handled it and it's not a goal. Mm. Doesn't even react. And then they give the goal. And then just as though that, you know, as though that was enough, they then give another goal to Mikel Antonio moments later for exactly the same thing that, that, that Rashford does. You know what I mean? Running through, handling the ball, barreling on and scoring a goal. And that's the, they're the two goals that make the difference, right? Fulham could get relegated this season. Two, two, the penalty that they had given against them was also a joke. You know what I mean? He gives a penalty to, uh, was it, Do- well, which uh, player was it, Dawson for West Ham? Not sure. Uh, he, he, so so it's, a, it's a tussle at a corner, uh, Andres Pereira, um, and he sort of, the two players, basically Dawson runs into him and actually arms him in the face. Mm. And, that, and But he also goes down at the same, now the referee had been like, oh, stop this messing or whatever. So there was an element of that playing into his decision. But it was crazy. Like, it's a penalty. You know, like, I mean, not, that's, it's as much a foul by, by the West Ham player as by the Fulham player. So there's three insane goals. You're supposed to have, oh, error reduction. It's about error reduction. You're never going to get a perfect world. It's about error reduction. There's three goals that, that have been given against Fulham in a 3-1 win for, for West Ham, all of which are dubious. And they've all been sort of waved through. Yeah, but you see, that's the, that's the key word, dubious. And the problem with all this is it's subjective. I'm sure if, if the VAR officials were sitting here, they'd explain to you why they felt these were the correct Well, decisions. I'd love, I, I mean, that would be great. And you're always going to get that. There's, the there's no technology that can solve that. Uh, because it's not no, which is why it's which is why the technological solution is a, is a false mm. is it's a false solution that actually makes the situation worse because now everyone is convinced not everyone but like a growing number of people are convinced this is a conspiracy, right? It's you know this is this is corruption mm. as opposed to just incompetence, which is which is bad but not as bad as corruption. So. Um, so, you know, the, the, there was then this, the Martinelli, Alexander Arnold and Diaz both got injured. And Diaz won. The talk is that that's not a good one. So we might not be seeing him for a while. That was a, that was a let it flow situation with, with Partey. He, Partey ended up sitting on him. And uh, it, was, it was hard to make out how he got injured so badly. The Alexander Arnold one was easy because you, there's a freeze frame of Martinelli flying and, and planting his, his studs on the ankle of... Now, last week, Arsenal played Tottenham. And Emerson Royale was sent off for a foul, which wasn't as bad as that. This one wasn't even a foul. Was it a foul? They might have given a foul, but it certainly wasn't even a yellow card. So, again, that was that was something that that could change the game. However, Arsenal did play very well, and I believe the right team. <laughs> I, believe, I believe the right team won the game. I, I think it's just a shame that these types of these types of things muddy the muddy waters, the waters exactly. muddy the waters yeah. around around the situation. I mean, what else? On um, obviously the, the Manchester United I mentioned in connection with the Rashford goal, they had a good win and everything. I thought when they went one 0 down, I thought they're in trouble here. Like looking at the Everton team, it 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 is. Now, I mean, Everton obviously haven't been good generally under Lampard or <clears throat> the previous manager Benitez. They've been in a bad situation for for a while, but you could sort of see the kind of outline of a team there, which is certainly not going to get relegated. Um, that looks quite very physically strong is the thing that leaps out when you look at it. Like um, the sort of combination of three very strong players in midfield. And when they got 1-0 up at home, 
against United with this with this very good finish by Iwobi, you think, well, this is going to be a difficult situation. Then United come out of it. Um, uh, Anthony has now, and nobody has done what he's done. He scored in his first three league games, apparently. For the, they, they've never had a player score in his first three Premier League games. I'm sure it's happened at some point. But uh, so he's working out pretty well by the looks of it. Uh, then Ronaldo came on and scored a great goal. <laughs> Ronaldo, Ronaldo came Still up got it, Kent. Yeah, well, uh, he he can uh, he can certainly do. I mean, it was it was a brilliant finish, like that to to finish like that with the left foot, um, and obviously won the game for uh, for his team. Um, but yeah, um, there was another big piece. I don't know if you saw the um, uh, by Duncan Castles. Uh, who, who, had, who had previously written a piece about, you know, Ronaldo's struggle to escape, which almost seemed to be, you know, directed at Ronaldo in part, like this is why it's been so difficult. Um, talking about how Ten Hag remains stubbornly wedded to his approach from Ajax and, you know, Ronaldo, why, this is, you know, who does this guy think he is? And uh, it, it finishes with some musings about Haaland has scored 19 goals in 11 Premier League and Champions League appearances for City, whose strategy of attack has been reshaped specifically for their new centre forward. Imagine Ronaldo's production in a City side with the same focus on delivering penalty box chances. The thought is a painful one for the Portuguese, persuaded as he was to forsake the opportunity to test such a theory at the end by the intervention of Sir Alex Ferguson and former teammates more than a year ago. Um, but goes on to uh, finish off saying that Ronaldo's representatives concluded close to 500 million euros worth of transfers in that window. It couldn't extract their top client from United tells its own story. There is no simple escape from this particular purgatory. So that's... Uh, Sorry, the story being how bad are these guys at their jobs? No, of course that's not, you know... It's Sorry, been, it just it kind of reads that way because they've got the best player in the world. A man who could... Uh, match or indeed beat Erling Haaland's current production in the Man City team on their books and yet they could not get a move for him to any football club in the world no it's like they, you can't get you can't get someone out of Man United it's like it's like um, Alcatraz uh, cold it's yeah you, you know it's just hard to break someone out of that particular um, mm. football dungeon you know and so I would, I would interpret it as you know it's not our fault boss um, but most importantly it's not your fault either that nobody wants you Mm. Uh, apart from Saudi Arabia, apparently, it is Manchester United's fault that you are still playing for Manchester United. Okay. It's, so I think that was the uh, that's the upshot. That's the that's the takeaway. That was more or less uh, what was being said. So I don't know. Do I, oh, the, there was terrible news about Enoch Moapu. Moapu, did you see this? Yes. Uh, he's had to retire. So this is the Brighton midfielder, uh, you know, who had been doing well for Brighton, sort of one of their young players. Yeah. And he's had to retire because of a heart condition. You know, he's only 24. Uh, apparently, he was taken ill when he went to play for Zambia in the international break. They did tests, and they've found basically an undiagnosed cardiac condition. So, yeah, 20, uh, 24 years of age. A total disaster uh, for him. And uh, and pretty sad, although he says he's going to try and stay in the game, and, and at least in his situation, given that he had arrived there for, I think, 20 million from um, Salzburg, that he should at least have a, a decent contractual situation. But like, obviously it's, you know, yeah, what, yeah. A, what a disaster. Um, the other thing, um, oh, the last thing I want is just Casillas. Mm. Well, like Casillas. So yesterday, I remember seeing this message, you know, people are sending WhatsApps, oh, Casillas, look at this. And it's a message, a Twitter message from Iker Casillas saying, I hope you respect me, I'm gay. Happy Sunday. In, in Spanish, I don't have the Spanish text in front of me. It's like what? 
you know, is this a, this, I mean, okay, you immediately think, well, this is a kind of a, a strange way to come out, you know, for mm. the recently divorced uh, father of several Casillas. Um, but I suppose, you know, there, he could be just grasping the nettle. You know, he could be just, well, I'll just fire out a tweet. Uh, no, you know, not not put out the usual sort of like, I've I've written some notes here. Here's here's my statement sort of thing. He just and you're kind of thinking just short and sharp. Well, I was taking it seriously because just the idea that he would it, it like the idea that he well, would the do that as a so joke. Unbelievably stupid. So that. stupid that I I yeah. kind of thought, well, this is like and and then it's obviously in that situation, it's kind of like a. It's a it's a really incredible story, you know what I mean? It's kind of a tragic story, but like one of the know, biggest players ever in European football, uh, yeah, coming out as gay after his career, w- after his would have been career, big. a World Cup winner, a Champions League winner, and captain of Spain and Real Madrid. Um, but now it turned out it was just banter. It was just a bit of banter uh, between uh, phone hacked between. Well, he said, "Oh yeah, well this is the other thing." He said his phone was hacked. Like he didn't even say, look, sorry, it was just banter. He said, oh, my phone was hacked. I'm really sorry. Respect to everybody. Which it could have been. Like, could have been a mate. Like, it still falls under the banter umbrella if, I don't know, he's out with a mate who's taking his phone and thinks this will be hilarious. I think it would depend on the standard by which he was being judged. If, if Imagine he was, in the, he was in the dock defending this case mm. of, you know, was my phone hacked or not. If it was beyond reasonable doubt, He'd probably get off if it was on the balance of probabilities. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I mean, the, you know, this and Puyol obviously got involved as well. It's time for our stories to come out or something with like a, a love heart and kiss emoji and something like this. And, and and again, that was like, well, what's going on? This is gets curiouser and curiouser. But of course, that was banter. It was just a bit of banter as well. And I guess the point of the banter is like the punchline of the banter is, ha, of course, I'm not gay. You know, it's ridiculous. Right. You know, I'm not. Imagine that! Like, I mean, it's, how did you not know that was a joke? You know, this yeah. seems to be the. This is the, that's, that's actually the, the punchline. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy. In, you know, in and play here. What also happened uh, when he um, put this out? Then there was there was loads of reactions from loads of reactions for people going, "Oh my god!" You know, oh, you know, sort of congratulations on coming out. You know, this is this is brave of you. You know, and I'm glad that you finally have have said. You know, this this type of reaction. You can imagine how furious. Uh, People who who kind of felt that imagine kind of people going oh wow you know this is kind of mm-hmm. and then to, then to realize oh no he's just it's laughing take, yeah. just laughing at the idea you know it's it's obviously a joke you know it's just he's it's just he's he's like been linked with so many women you know since his divorce that like he's just like kind of going oh you know I'm actually gay you know like again you know you're like yeah. how how kind of like this millionaire idler sitting around on the Sunday afternoon, you know, like just with nothing left in his life. But but also, uh, as soon as he puts it out, there's there's a huge number of tweets, uh, which who are saying, "Oh, uh, you know, you're disgusting, you're filthy." Uh, Neuer is clear. You know, this is why this is why Manuel Neuer was always the best all along. You know, we've lost a good man, and then like lots of people, you know, posting old Nazi propaganda. It's good to see, like you know, a big, uh, a big meme, uh, you know, with like a, a kind of a, a battlefield meme with like all these sort of demonic-faced uh, BLM and uh, you know, sort of uh, activists waving rainbow flags, uh, and you know, with a big sort of Jewish goblin octopus, 
mm. uh, over them all, you know, yeah. orchestrating this army. And then, like, the, you know, a kind of a... That's a good day when, a broad you, when you open shoulders, your Twitter account and you decide warrior. this is where you want to go. Yeah, the, yeah. cheers, yeah. Eker, you know, for giving yeah, all yeah. this a, a good... A good, uh, a good airing, good Sunday afternoon airing. So, so from the point of view of someone who's looking at that, like, I mean, someone who actually might be in the position that Casillas was joking that he was in, to see, to get a preview of what actually happens... Mm. You know, uh, and also to know that people like Casillas, you know, whatever, you know, respect to the LGBT, that to, to feel actually they're laughing, you know, actually they're, they're kind of laughing at me, you know, whatever, whatever the sort of public thing is, or the, you know, the account or the yeah. whoever hacked it, you know, I thought it was just horrific. Yeah. Like it was just so stupid. Um, and yeah, I think, well, he went down in my estimation now. I wasn't, I can't say I was giving him a lot of thought mm. recently, but <laughs> this moon landing denying fucking, like, he, he, yeah, he's a moon landing denier. Is he? Yeah, he is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, yeah, so, look, uh, I, I, I wish, uh, I wish luck to him in the rest of his very long retirement, because it seems to me like he's going to need it. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We're joined now by Miguel Delaney. How are you doing, Miguel? Good, good. And also by Andrew Mangan. How, how are things with you, Andrew? They're pretty good, Ken. How are you? Yeah, very well, very well. Um, I saw Mikel Arteta after the game last night talking about how it was just an immense privilege to be able to share a moment like that with all of the people who came to the stadium. And he said he'd never seen the Emirates Stadium like that. And he's seen some good moments, both as a player and manager. So what made this so? Uh, what made this such an incredible moment for Arsenal? I think it's the fact that Liverpool have been such a great team over the last couple of years and have had such a, a brilliant record over Arsenal. And the progress that Arsenal have made, which I think is clear to everybody, is measured not just in you know where you are in the league table, but how you can perform and how you can compete against a team like this. Last week, Arsenal beat Tottenham in the North London derby. It's always a big game for obvious reasons. But I don't think that it meant as much in, in footballing terms as beating Liverpool, um, which isn't to downplay it in any way because Arsenal always win, always want to win the derby. But generally speaking, they always do win the derby at home. Liverpool have 
been so dominant over Arsenal in the last couple of years, um, scoring lots of goals. We find it very difficult to score uh, against Jurgen Klopp's team. And this was a game where I think people were looking at it and 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 saying this is a marker for Arsenal's progress and, and what they can do and how competitive they can be this season. And to win it meant a huge amount, even if I think this is a Liverpool team that isn't quite what it was. Miguel, you were there inside the volcano. <laughs> Did you share this uh, this view that this was this was some kind of a special breakthrough for for Arsenal? Yeah, it's very loud. And I mean, even I suppose this entire question is, um, I suppose, reflected by the fact that actually I've been to the last few Arsenal games. Been there a few times this season, and it does feel like almost after every match, it's put to Arteta, not in a kind of almost a a fan service way, but because it's a genuine question where he's asked about the atmosphere, because it's something that's clearly going. And I mean, you've spoken about it uh, before on the podcast, Ken. I, having asked you, of course, stole your point for a piece last week. Uh, But uh, there is just kind of, there's this joyous momentum about Arsenal now, not just in terms of the way the team is playing, but just in the whole atmosphere out of the team. And it is that, it's that unique feeling that comes from a team that is unmistakably on the up. It's, it's not the joy of winning trophies yet. It's the joy of very clear hope and, and the feeling right now that anything is possible with that reflected in what's happening in the game. Because I think this is actually where Arteta's football both feeds the crowd and feeds off the crowd because we're not, it's, it's a type of game and it's amazing the contrast uh, from the manager himself here given how often dull Arsenal looked two years ago. But right now, I mean, it's, there's, there's absolutely nothing kind of pragmatic or tactical about, or, sorry, absolutely nothing pragmatic or, or tactically cautious about how he takes every game. They, they really just go for it. They, 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 they seize the occasion and that creates, as much as anything, some higher wire matches um, some really high scoring matches and games where they don't always look in com- complete control but through their willingness to kind of assert dominance they do gradually seize control and that only feeds the crowd forward and so many matches at the moment are ending in these what, crescendos with, with you know noise having been raucous throughout yeah I mean I thought the key period in the game yesterday was actually started to happen immediately after Liverpool scored their second goal and this was the point of the match when you might have expected Arsenal to be rattled, you know, having having kind of squandered the lead twice, when actually they took control and began to subject Liverpool to the kind of pressure that they couldn't, they, they ultimately couldn't stand up to. And, you know, you can complain about the penalty, and I mean, Jurgen Klopp has complained about it, but you can't, it doesn't alter the fact that Arsenal had hammered in five or six shots in 20 seconds. You know, I mean, it was something like that. I mean, there was that incredible spell of pressure to ultimately force that. And they were the team at the end of it that had more strength. I mean, certainly in the last half hour of the team, more strength, more focus, and ultimately more ability to force the issue. Yeah, totally. And, and, and that's it. I suppose this is something that Arteta is actually very consciously trying to achieve. Uh, with Arsenal, and it has informed their season a fair bit. I mean, particularly, I suppose the one big doubt so far has come from the Manchester United game, where on the balance of play, I thought Arsenal were the better team that day, but just because they're not quite, they're not yet the finished article, there's that there's those gaps in how they play. They try and control games through control of the ball and control of territory, and essentially pinning teams back. And because of the sort of team they are, that's there's still going to be a, a little bit of inconsistency about that. 
Whereas I think for a concerted spell yesterday, and it was I think it was all the more impressive given how the first half had been a bit more of a, of a scrappier, patchier game. But in the second half, they really grow into and I think periods of it were almost an Arteta ideal. Where as you say, Liverpool just couldn't escape. And 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 a point like that then the actual the, the risk inherent to Arteta's approach, which is this high line where they're they're, they're always kind of almost, almost on a tightrope, it actually kind of disappears just because their their control of a game and the control of the ball is so total. What do you think then has has made the difference, Andrew? You know, I mean, over the, I mean, what Miguel refers to is that sort of you know that period where. Um, where I said people were like, "Oh, this guy," you know, it's all it's all sort of football by numbers, or people would sarcastically say, "Trust the process." You know, this was the kind of slogan that developed to kind of mock Arteta after disappointing Arsenal results. So, what do you think is the moment when things start to catch fire, and why was it when he booted Pierre Emerick Aubameyang out of the club? <laughs> um. I mean, I think that was a, a big moment. It, I, it started earlier than that, to be honest. It, after the three games that Arsenal lost at the start of last season, you know, there was such um, pressure on Arteta and such pressure on the club. But the Leicester away game last season is when people, you know, certainly from an Arsenal fan's point of view, started to feel like something was happening. Uh, people remember the, the Aaron Ramsdale save from the free kick. Um but the way Arsenal played that day really uh, started to make people think that something was going on. And, and clearly the Aubameyang decision was a big one. Um, ultimately, last season, Arsenal ran out of fit bodies, basically. I think the football in general w was pretty good, despite some difficult moments, Liverpool games uh, as part of that. But it's been coming for a while now. The The progress has been has been quite consistent, even if, you know, as I said, at the end of last season, we just ran out of steam. There just weren't enough fit guys to play. And and that was reflected in, in the last couple of results. But when you step back and look at that objectively, when you see how close Arsenal came to, to achieving top four last season with some very significant flaws in the team, with some pieces missing, as everybody knows, that's encouraging. I don't think... Um, you know, I saw it said like, well, this was their best ever chance of getting back into the top four and they've blown it. And OK, maybe we blew it. But if you couldn't see that there was progress being made. Is, and it, is next season cancelled or whatever? I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. Like, I mean, they're obviously yeah. well, well set to go in the, the following season. Exactly, exactly. And, and what they did in the transfer market this summer has changed things. Gabriel Jesus, you know, when you think about the way Alexandra Lacazette, God bless him, huffed and puffed around the pitch last season to not great effect. What Gabriel Jesus brings to the team, uh, you know, you could see it yesterday. He didn't score. He didn't make an assist, but there was a bravery to the way that he played even late on. You know, he got sandwiched between Van Dijk and, and Allison, and, you know, he could have he could have uh, ended up in, in pretty bad shape there. But, you know, that I think epitomizes what Arsenal are about right now. There's a bravery to what they do, how they do it. And that, that period in the second half after Liverpool scored, because it was, you know, it was a reminder of, you know, how good Liverpool can be that they cut you open in a moment and all of a sudden you're, you're level and then you're wondering what's going to happen. But, but Arsenal played with real bravery, real intent. And I think that's part and parcel of the way Arteta has tried to build this team. 
and what he wants from them. And uh, I think the reward yesterday was the the three points. It's any Andrew. I don't know if you've have you seen that you've seen those quotes. I'm sure from Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Um, and, and in Obama, in fairness to Aubameyang, we should say, this comes from some video. I, I don't know when it was recorded. He's like sitting on a couch. He's, he's talking to some people. It's not like he did a press conference after the match yesterday and issued the following statement. But in the video, he's seen basically saying, well, you know, big characters, big players, he can't deal with it. You know, he needs young players, basically, who don't say anything. You know, they just listen to him. And, and that's that's the kind of, that's that's where he's at as a, as a manager, I mean, do you see that just as the kind of ego defense of a player who obviously failed at the club, you know, and it, left it, in, in bad circumstances? You know, you know what it sounds like. It's it's like Zlatan and Pep Guardiola, uh, and, and and that might be indicative of a kind of a wider shift in in football. I mean, we've talked about this a bit on the show as well, but like you know, the, in terms of how tactics have evolved, and also just to suppose how kind of young personalities and the different type of figures in the game. But so sorry, go, go on, Andrew. Well, I mean, I think there might be something to that, 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 that comparison. But, you know, what is a big character? Is a big character a guy who stands up in a game, who leads, who scores goals, who performs week in, week out? Or is it a guy, you know, is a big character a guy who turns up late for training all the time in his flash car? You know, there's a distinction to be made there. Like you say, I think these were sort of off-the-cuff comments that he made not realizing that uh, he was being filmed or certainly that it was it was going to be released to the general public but you know there are characters in this Arsenal team you don't do what Arsenal did yesterday and you don't do what Arsenal have done this season without there being big characters and it's um you know to sort of dismiss the idea that young players are are sort of subservient to the manager or whatever it is I think the team made a lie of that yesterday. When you look at what Saka did, what Martinelli did, these are young players, but they're performing and they're performing at an extremely high level. And on that basis, it it, it doesn't really reflect well on Aubameyang. But like you said, well, he's been sort of taken out of context a bit as well. In that regard as well, and this was put to our set after the game, and I think a few of the players actually spoke about it, uh, to look, at, look at Saka. I mean, he went through one of the most traumatic moments of his career a year ago with uh, the England penalty. And since then, has scored against, what, three of the uh, the big six. And I think yesterday, yesterday has actually felt the most pressurised of all, given the game stage, given given, given it was two all. And just and, and he wasn't one of those kind of rolled into the corner. He, he properly whacked it. Yeah. yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, uh, the, the sort of uh, the responsibility that he has taken upon himself after missing that penalty for England, like you say, Miguel, he scored against a uh, penalty against Chelsea, penalty against Man United last season, and uh, now this one against Liverpool. And like you said, that there was a high pressure situation and he dealt with it admirably. Uh, well, I think Josh Kroenke deserves a bit of credit there after uh, <laughs> man managing uh, Saka so astutely, telling him to shake that shit off. Just, just, just on the Aubameyang thing, I, I, I think there's something interesting there. I think it's related to what Arteta is as a coach and who he's been influenced by. Because, I mean, again, you come back to what... It's, it's, it's amazing how so much of football does come back to this because it was a juncture in history, which is basically Guardiola taking over at Barcelona. And before that, and I suppose this... And given Mourinho is probably the, the figure most consigned to history by, by Guardiola... I mean, that previous era, that kind of control era of 2004, 2009, say, I mean, ultimately, that Mourinho-style leadership was based on big characters and managers firing that. And, you know, the line was always used, warriors to take responsibility. Whereas after the Guardiola, because 
tactical frameworks became so much more important because players to a certain degree had to subject their own abilities to the to the overall tactical idea and this brought more out of everyone and it, it did require a different sort of personality also this is something Mourinho spoke about himself a lot you know about kind of millennial players and now they respond to positive reinforcement rather than the old school hard knocks I mean that's simplistic but that is something that has developed and it, it's formed different type of players and also just character in a different way and almost symptomatic of that is that we again I think we mentioned this on the eve of the season um Arteta's choice of captain whereas I mean again the ideal of an Arsenal captain it's Tony Adams it's kind of the ultimate alpha male now Odegaard and one of the reasons he's picked Odegaard is basically because he's specifically really good at taking Arteta's instructions on the sideline and being able to impart them to the rest of the players and, and, and again it's just something that you, you could okay Aubameyang he's not that old but he is slightly of a different era and quite an individualist in that regard uh, and it's it it is just a different a different personality type than what Arteta wants. And again, this comes into how he's built this atmosphere around the team, and it's fed into the uh, the atmosphere around the stadium because it is. I mean, the, the classic one you always hear that Southgate uses, and it comes from New Zealand rugby, no dickheads culture. But it's it, it's it's just really about honing a squad and just getting rid of anyone who doesn't fully buy into it. So by the time you have it after two or three years in. But how you have it as you want, everyone there you can be guaranteed is fully bought into the culture, and that starts to have a multiplying effect. Well, he said that from day one, Miguel. Like the day he arrived at the club, he yeah. sort of said, "This is the way we're going to work. This is the way we're going to live." And if you're on board, I think he said something like, "If you want to get on the boat, you, you know, get on. But if you're not, then, you know." And we've seen that. We've seen the way that big players and in inverted commas big characters have been dispatched by Arsenal over the last couple of years. And, you know, on the one hand, there might be some criticism of um, uh, the way that they've done it. In, in in essence, they've paid players to go away. It's not the most um, uh, cost-efficient way yeah, of doing it. But at the same time, Mesut Ozil, out the door. Kolasinac, out the door. Out the door, eventually. Out the door. Yeah, it, it took <laughs> yeah, some time. Hung out I mean, for about four years. <laughs> yeah, I know. It took some time. But, you know, Aubameyang, the same. Uh, Mustafi, the same. You know, he got rid of cliques in the dressing room. That was a significant clique in that dressing room. The the Ozil, Mustafi, Kolasinac uh, trio of, well, I don't know what you would call them. But, you know, he, he's been very clear about that from the start. So it can't be any surprise to any Arsenal player that if, you're, if your standards aren't what he expects, you're not going to be part of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I have to ask, Andrew. I mean, Miguel had mentioned Pep Guardiola there. He's still factoring all this. And uh, Manchester City are just absolutely Ivan Dragoing it at the moment. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at the table. Arsenal are top. They've won yeah. all but one of their matches. And they're still um, nine to one to win the Premier League, which is pretty unusual for a team that's topping the table after 10 games or whatever. And the team behind them are 9-2 on because everybody thinks that Man City are inevitably going to uh, mm. pass Arsenal. Um, what do you believe? I mean, I would be very pleasantly surprised if we could stay ahead of Manchester City for the rest of the season. But, um, yeah, I mean, they just have the quality, the experience, the depth, the resources. But look, it's if we're thinking about what you want from a season, you know, particularly after last season ended, it was like, 
the gap is still big, you know? Can we close it? Can we compete? Can we be competitive against the big teams? Can we address some of the weaknesses that we've uh, seen over the years at Arsenal? And I think we're ticking a lot of those boxes. Um, it is only nine games. There's a long way to go. Manchester City feel for all kinds of reasons. And I, I don't know that we need to have the the wider discussion again, like something of a, a footballing cheat code. And if you can beat them, as Liverpool did once in five years, despite being an incredible team themselves, you, you're, you're going to have an amazing season. I, I don't know that Arsenal have quite what it takes yet to go the distance against Manchester City. But, you know, if you get to the end of this period before we go into the World Cup break and Arsenal are in good shape, the January transfer window could be a very important one for Arsenal because there are still a couple of little issues of depth in, in some positions. And if they could address those, then who knows? But look, it's, it's a tall order, I think. But it's very pleasing to see an Arsenal team that are, um, you know, as good and as united and as as effective and actually really fun to watch at mm-hmm. the moment, which is, um, you know, that that's not been the case for a few years. And it's a, it's a fun team to watch. They're exciting. Uh, and it's full of players that, you know, I like. And that's a really nice thing as well, because there have been lots of players I haven't over the last few years. So it's yeah. very enjoyable at the moment. Just on that, this is actually where the influence of the unknown of a mid-season World Cup, uh, and I say this maybe partly in hope uh, of a title race, uh, <laughs> but I think there is logic behind it, but where, where, where there, there could be something. Because I suppose in seasons, like, and I was thinking about it in relation to Napoli as well, now Arsenal aren't quite Napoli, it's different, but there's a similar kind of emotional momentum behind what they're doing. And I suppose with, with situations like that, there is a danger that when it gets to mid-season, reality starts to assert itself. You know, the lack of depth in the Arsenal team, maybe remaining issues in the squad, uh, and also just who they're up against and how that can actually beat you down. But from a psychological perspective, the World Cup might actually help them there because suddenly it's just that point where you're getting into the kind of busy Christmas schedule or would be, where there is a danger of losing momentum, where suddenly everyone goes away. So I suppose the ideal for Arsenal is obviously just keep this going for one more month. Then in the World Cup itself, obviously everyone knows Haaland's not going to be there. But City do have a lot of starters who would expect to go to at least the quarterfinal, which is the last week of the competition. One of them is Kevin De Bruyne, who's also pretty pretty important to how many goals Haaland gets, given the, the amount of times they've already linked up. This is one where Arsenal's relative callousness as a team could actually serve them because they don't have that many starters in the World Cup. And obviously there's still this kind of um, curiosity even about the Brazilian players, particularly Gabriel Jesus. Do, is, does Martinelli not play for, not go, not get in the Brazil well, squad I, I, World Cup? I suppose it's all, I mean, it's about whether they're used as much because that that is a factor. Again, we, we mentioned this in the eve of the season as well, but it, it, I mean, influencing that is how much you play and how centrally involved. The classic example, say, being Roberto Baggio in 94 and it took him so long to, to recover both mentally and um, and physically. Whereas, which is not the case for kind of some of say Italy's players who are on the bench, like even Gianfranco Zola in that tournament. Uh, we're getting getting a tangent there, but, but the point being, I suppose that who's going to come back from the World Cup fresher than others, and then suddenly it's almost like it's it's almost like in a classic Argentine championship in that regard, where it's like you know the the uh, apertura and the, and the clausura. But Arsenal could feasibly have they could be neck and neck with City potentially a chance to recover momentum with a city that might be just 
a little bit more. Ah, um, yeah, we've heard, we've heard it, we've heard it all before, we've heard it all before. We have to well, wait yeah, and see yeah, whether that's going to happen. But what? There is logic to it. I'd say. There, is, there is, there is, there is logic. But they they have been sort of defying that. Uh, I think with their starts of the season, some although they still don't have as many points as Arsenal, which is an important consideration. Um, uh, Miguel, just a quick question on this um, betting. I don't want to talk about betting the whole time, uh, but I just had to check the Arsenal title odds there. And while doing so, I noticed what seems to me an anomaly, but maybe you can predict. Who are the third favourites to win the Premier League at the moment? Chelsea. Chelsea are third. Who's fourth? Newcastle. Liverpool. Still. Liverpool are fourth favourites to win the, to win the Premier League. Ahead of Tottenham, ahead of Man United, ahead of Newcastle, ahead of Brighton, who are the next uh, four teams in order. And they're the only teams, basically, that you can get anyone to take a bet on at this stage. I mean, that's incredible to me. Uh, I heard you uh, in the press conference quizzing Jurgen Klopp about the mess he's, the almighty mess he's made of this team. <laughs> um, it is, it, it's, I mean, he, he t- tell, tell me a little bit about what he, what his, uh, what his answer was to that, but it does seem as though Liverpool, having been for so long, this kind of model of clarity, you know, a yeah. team which was the ultimate sort of, well, we know what we're going to do. Their job is to worry about us. I mean, I'm sure, you know, they're doing details to sort of deal with each individual team, but it was the same team week after week, month after month, season after season. Maybe that's part of their problem now. But suddenly I saw a quote from Klopp before this game where he said, um, what's his quote? He says, uh, uh, it's important that we become unpredictable again and we need different systems for that. I thought, what? You've never been unpredictable. I mean, is it that Carlo Ancelotti got in his head after the Champions League? Did he spend all summer thinking about what Carlo Ancelotti said after the Champions League final, which is effectively, well, it was Liverpool. We knew what they were going to do. That he's kind of, you know, now trying all sorts of different things, none of which are as good as the thing that he used to do that work, which maybe they can't do anymore. But at the same time, what is, where is he at with this team? Well, that was actually, I think, the clearest thing in yesterday's game, particularly in that second half. Arsenal played like a team who knew exactly what they were doing. It was, you know, it, exactly as you say, that clarity that Liverpool had for so long. Everyone knows their jobs. And in that, they could perform those jobs to the maximum. Whereas Liverpool, I mean, it was like a team of disconnected parts, uh, which is summed up with the way they were often, they had most success in the kind of bypass midfield, which is where the first goal came from. Uh, and on that, I wonder whether Klopp was a little bit spooked by the start of the season in the sense that it, it did feel like going into the campaign there was a bit of a sense that, okay, well, it's, it's Darwin coming in for Sadio Mane. That's just, that just requires a little bit of a reshaping in the attack. Will there be a bit of a drop-off we could adapt to it? Whereas, actually, it was such a finely tuned team that there's issues. Every, I, I do think it was actually more than the change in attack. I think there's been a few things going on. There's that classic staleness after three, four years together. I, I, I think there's a possibility opposition sides have rumbled the um, how to play against the kind of fullbacks, which who have been Liverpool's engine for so long, both in terms of kind of you know the, the stamina they display and constantly running up the pitch and the, the intensity that creates, and also from an attacking perspective, then his his midfield is pretty much collapsed. Given he it feels like there's really only two he completely trusts right now, who are who are Henderson and um, and Thiago. And Fabinho kind of just suddenly that's been almost the most surprising thing of all just how he's gone from one of the most commanding midfielders in the world to someone now who's just been not, not being played and when he is played is so regularly bypassed and it feels like Klopp is trying to solve all these things and it was quite interesting yesterday even because I, I asked him is this kind of just a, a circumstantial thing or is, does he have deeper concerns and he kind of tried to evade it at first what deeper concerns before then admitting that actually yes 
it is a concern. And it, it does feel like I mean, what we're possibly seeing now is someone who's got to figure out not just issues in his team, but what he wants to what he wants this side to look like, what he wants this idea to be as he goes into what I suppose a lot of Liverpool fans would hope is the next cycle of this team. I've left it to the end just because I'm not sure how much more we'll be able to add to what's currently out there. But obviously a big story kind of that, that was sort of hanging over this game afterwards was this mysterious incident um, that, that happened, seems to emanate from a row between players, including Jordan Henderson, uh, Gabriel, uh, a few other players got involved. Lots of people have been uh, looking at footage and trying to analyze the different looks and glances that people uh, given this, we do know that the referee came over to the managers and seemed to tell them that something had been happening. And, you know, uh, the question is, what exactly is this? We know what the, the speculation is that, you know, somebody has said something terrible. Jordan Henderson seems to be the one in the in the frame there. Um, what is going on here? I just wanted to know if, if, whether both of you have heard from your sources at either club uh, what the nature of this problem is. And I'll ask you, Miguel, since you were there. Uh, so n- neither club is speaking about it, actually. Uh, from trying to speak to people after the game, it just it's everyone said it kind of there's a process ongoing. We, we we leave it to the FA to investigate, and even from someone on the Arsenal side, I, uh, I the the word that I got was basically and nothing from us that uh, this is far. The, the exact quotes were used that this is far from clear. Um, so I suppose from that perspective, we await. Uh, what next? But it's, I think it's probably one of those where we can't. No, no one can really say anything for certain. Anything? Uh, anything that you've heard, Andrew? Anything indicating the nature? No, of just the sim- similar to what Miguel said there. From the Arsenal perspective, they're very close-lipped uh, about it, um, and it's. I think it's one of those where you, what people are saying is so serious that the best thing to do is wait and see what happens with the uh, the FA report or or. Um, whatever comes out from the referee's report but fingers crossed uh sooner rather than later we find out what this is about because uh, obviously something has happened and the two managers looked a little bemused on the sidelines when when the referee came over so we'll uh i think the best thing to do is just wait and see and then react to whatever comes out then well hopefully they can um they can get on top of that situation soon uh, andrew Mangan and miguel delaney it's been great talking to you as ever on the show today thanks ken It's very difficult to see Arsenal play one day without Arsenal on the bench. He's going to ruin the club, fam. He's going to ruin the club, blood. I'm telling you, fam. But up and down the land, you do sense a genuine appreciation for the way this Arsenal team play. They were perfect. It's turning. It's turning, blood. Did you hear the booze at full time? Seriously, shut the fuck up tonight. I'm not in no mood for no little dickheads chatting shit. We love to have him there all the time, but we all know that's not going to happen. One day he's going to have to go. Spineless! Where were they in the second half? Spineless! No fucking character! No fucking leadership! Where does that boil down to? It boils down to the fucking manager! It's finished! It will be hard. He's not thinking of leaving one day. He was a great manager. He's gone. He's gone. I don't, I, it will happen eventually. We all know it. But I, I don't see it. Arsenal Football Club, man. For me, the day I will see Arsenal play without Arsenal on the bench, 
gonna be weird. I can't, I can't get angry, I can't get angry like I did before, because it's, it's just... Arsene Wenger's team, every bit as good as the manager's words. He had no doubts. They are the champions. They have taken the title away from Manchester United. Non-members listening today will not have heard the full conversation Ken had with Gabriele Mercati last week. A really good shot about the Champions League and also the Super League. Florentino Perez's big dream to get the kids back interested in football. Owen Dunphy has an opinion about it saying, in my opinion, uh, any difficulties football has in terms of generational attraction are more likely due to the increasing disconnect between the game itself, uh, players, managers, pundits and owners, and the supporters. Wealth inequality and the increasing intrusion of world geopolitics have created a class rift between the average soccer supporter and those within the game, to say nothing of the practical difficulties, costs, multiple subscriptions, etc., that have emerged in recent years. While a good narrative like Real Madrid's March to the Champions League last year can compel, it's harder and harder to become invested in the faceless pile of cash behind a club logo, whether that cash is venture capital, leverage buyout, or the proceeds of dictatorial exploitation of a nation's resources. Young people aren't much different now than 30 years years ago. Sure, the environment is different, but they want the same things. And we only need to look at the renewed enthusiasm for the Irish soccer teams, men's and women's, to see that soccer still has that magic, even in times of equivocal success. I think the failure of so many pundits, most of them ex-players or managers, to understand the support of Stephen Kenny's efforts. I didn't think Stephen Kenny was going to be getting an airing in this email, but here we are. Uh, so the, the failure to understand the support of Stephen Kenny's efforts within the Irish supporter culture speaks volumes to their own disconnection to what football and sport in general can bring us. The sense of belonging, the sense of something utterly vitally important, which is simultaneously meaningless. The sense of the sublime. That sublimation is, for me, utterly absent in most high-level football, and I doubt I'm alone on that. That it still contains compelling players, sorry, that it still contains compelling players, skills, narratives and so on, will keep me watching, but I doubt I will ever again experience a moment like Ole winning it at the new Camp from club football and that is what Florentino can't grasp you can't monetize the sublime it isn't content it just is and it disappears once you look at it too hard and I know I'm too late for hip hop week but a shout out for turn it up fire it up by Busta have a good one you are too late on for hip hop week I'm afraid but next year straight straight out of live straight out of Compton all going well what about that email again very briefly yeah I, I think I agree on with that email I think I agree with that. Broadly. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, Miguel was writing uh, some good stuff last week about uh, the nonsense that was going on with the Manchester United-Chelsea game that had been rescheduled. Oh, yeah. And uh, no trains on that day from Manchester to Chelsea. Um, 400, 500 Man United fans getting uh, their tickets taken off them, basically. The, the away um, uh, complement of tickets was, was reduced by 33% or something like that. And I was just thinking, this is exactly the sort of story that that gets huge traction in... And I know it's a completely different world, but bear with me for a second. The, the idea that fans get inconvenienced like this is the sort of story that goes like mega global in the GA world, right? That the idea that fans can get treated badly just instinctively gets this like reaction from like the press and from just general fans. And... 
that's a voice you never hear in the Premier Like, you just never hear about, like, fans being inconvenienced in this way. I mean, it happens all the time. You know, like, sky change, uh, games at short notice, kickoff times, uh, terrible public transport, flights, uh, no flights in and out of places or whatever. And I just kind of feel like that I was reading Miguel's stuff and I was just, it just struck me as being as really odd that you could watch the Premier League for years and never actually hear anyone talk about the fan experience being terrible at you, these you, games. You might if you were in England and, you know, if you're following one club specifically, you know, you're following the GA in Ireland, obviously. Yeah. Closely, but the but Premier League is such a homogenised product that we, we all view it from a distance. Yeah. Maybe if you're if you're English or you're a match-going fan, you are much more in tune with the yeah, stuff that's this. Yeah, this is a completely half-baked theory, but all I'm saying is... Well, it's the end of a Monday football match. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, this it, is the slot for If it. ever there was a slot for it. But I just feel like all of the major GA voices are never... And I mean, I'm not saying that the GA have this right. I mean, what I actually... What annoys me at the GA sometimes is these small little matters get, like, thrown in as, oh, well, this is a sign that the GA is gone to pot, you know, and that like money rules everything out. Crow Park want your, their hands in your pockets all the time. Like this is used as a stick to beat the GA with all the time. And then when you look at the Premier League and all of these fans getting inconvenienced constantly and it's just not something that moves the needle in that media environment. Now, maybe there are local newspapers, you know, like the Manchester Evening News or something are going to be all over this story or whatever. But just yet, yeah, you never hear uh, sort of the big sort of soccer Premier League columnist writing about something like this which actually does impact on the enjoyment of the game for the people who are attending the games I don't know on just a thought I had done thanks Murph thank you on Thank you, Thanks for listening. Big week for Irish football with Vera Powell's team in the World Cup playoff. We've also got Champions League to talk about during the week. So sign up now to the World Service. You'll also hear every episode ad-free. The Second Captains podcast is part of the... Hold on a minute here, on. I know this one. It's the Acast yeah. Creator Network. Well, well, he said it himself. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 